Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice, mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So we've got Robbie Hughes that we're talking to, and it's absolutely fascinating listening to the the start um, yeah that kind of that young the things he learned as a young boxer have really carried through and, and influenced his his mindset and his attitude through his whole career mm. so and, heavily and I, and I think what was interesting was that there's lots of lessons in there that he's learned like like the HR one you know mm. um, people will be interested about the noodle shop yeah, you know, but but he learned an HR skill mm. and a business skill. Mm. But people probably don't know that they mm. see just what he what he is now and what he's created now. I think it was fascinating, mm. a really good conversation, a lovely guy as well. And also the the honesty about failure. Yeah, you know, yeah, we were talking about how the modern world is very much engineered that kind of we so often just see the destination without yeah, seeing yeah. the journey. But listening to the things that he's done, but that kind of pursuit of excellence and you know to have kind of built businesses that all relate to dentistry, but in such different areas, mm. a dental practice, a lab. Mm. You know, he's got what would appear to be a, a, a you know composite veneers course, but actually it's trying to elevate dentistry. And, yeah, everybody. And then the scrubs. For the business. benefit of everybody. I yeah. that, that's the thing I got out, was yeah. the fact of uh, it's for the benefit of the dental profession and also for patients. Yeah, and um, the passion that comes across yeah, for what he's doing. Brilliant. Really enjoyable conversation Nice guy, today. really good. So welcome. And today we are delighted. We're joined by Robbie Hughes. And Robbie is the Principal Director of Dental Excellence, the Dental Practice and Cutting Edge Laboratory. The founder of Mediform, which is changing the scrubs game. We'll find out more about that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Also the founder of Avant-Garde Dentistry, the Digital Composite Veneers Training Programme. And one of the most focused and driven people I know. Wow. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. Morning, Robbie. How are you doing? Flip, yeah. There's an intro for you, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, not, not, not bad. Thanks very much, Andy. <laughs> you're doing you're doing so much. And I'm looking forward to kind of digging into all of it because it, it all joins up, but they're all completely different businesses as well. So you have a lot on your your plate. Uh, j- just to kick off with, I was listening to another podcast recently with the uh, the chef Marcus Waring, and as I was listening to it, it, it was almost like they were talking about you. And and, I, and I'll, I'll explain kind of why because he he was brought up in Southport. He boxed as a youngster. He's been absolutely tenacious in mastering his craft. And that relentless desire to do more and drive, it just felt like it was so like you. And I didn't, it, I just like to explore kind of where does your drive come from? And is there something about people from the Northwest in, in your <laughs> yeah. experience where there is this kind of drive to, to really kind of, you know, succeed and, and, and push things forward but when I listen to this thing about Marcus I just thought it, I could be listening to Robbie talking Southport yeah so where have been to Southport I have been I have been once yeah. <laughs> I've in been fact, there I think yeah. in, in fairness Marcus one of his desires was to, to you know get get away get out yeah. Um, but yeah where, where does your drive come from Robbie yeah I think you're right there's a lot of similarities there I think it is probably a combination of obviously the, the city that we that we grew up in um you know, people from Liverpool are, are, tend to be quite ambitious. Um, we, we, we're authentic within ourselves, and that sometimes makes us sort of quite unique in so many ways to to mm. go out and want to do better and, and work hard. And um, I think the martial arts and the boxing background 
if if that's in you from a very young age, um, it just develops this sort of mentality, this certain discipline within you, which becomes a normal part of your life, which, um, you know, to me, you know, the drive, the the, the work ethic is, mm. is completely normal, but only when you reflect or when other people bring it up that you really sort of start to realise that it is it is quite quite different. Um, and as you mentioned mm. on the podcast, that, that comes out quite quite uniquely in, in his story as well, really. So I, I, I can see the similarities, mm. definitely, yeah. Yeah. And did you, you, you started boxing young, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to ask you, when did you yeah. start? Six. Oh wow! Eight, six, yeah. Um, and you weren't just a you weren't just a good boxer, were you? You know, I've, I've sort of, from what I understand, you were a pretty good. When you sound like world champion or something. Or yeah. Something. So yeah, I started. Yeah. It was kickboxing that I was involved in um, from the age of six. Uh, it was a massive part of my life for, for twenty odd years. Travelled the world and wow. um, competing really, um, and yet managed to attain numerous world world titles as a junior and as a senior um and that's nuts isn't it i mean I, I love the modesty of yeah yeah, yeah. I, did, I did a bit of boxing <laughs> <laughs> a bit of boxing's me in my garage <laughs> but but also i imagine the the sacrifice that your parents must have made because when you're you're that young um you know i played racket sports as a kid nothing like to that level but i i had a massive appreciation that my father most weekends meant that we had to get packed up in the car we had to drive off around the country playing competitions and i guess there was a sacrifice from your parents side of things to support you to that that level absolutely exactly exactly the same um you know most weekends my dad would travel and myself would travel the travel the country competing in competitions um so because I was competing at quite a high level, obviously we had competitions that we would attend as a club, but we always did more. You know, there'd be competitions everywhere. Uh, my instructor hated us traveling south. Um, from, <laughs> yo used to get a bad deal. <laughs> and, but, you know, I used to I used to travel just me and my dad. We go we travel literally up and down the country every every weekend really and, and compete. Go into the lines then. Um, yeah. all the time and and it's just just to get fights under our belts more than anything and just 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 mm. just constantly strive for improvements um, and mm. i owe a lot to my dad for that because he did dedicate endless hours my dad worked shifts at the time and um, so sometimes in the week i wouldn't i wouldn't see him if he was working nights or or, or whatever shifts he was my mum would be taking me to the gym my mum used to hate taking me to the gym she couldn't watch she couldn't literally couldn't watch Oh really? Um, I think that's mum's for you, isn't it? Yeah. Um and then over weekend most most weekends, as I say, I, I would compete and my dad would sort of drive me all around the country. Um and yeah. that's, that's where it all started. Were yeah. you boxing doing uh, training to be a dentist as well? Well that came that came much later. So those those years were when I was like, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, right into right into my teens. As I got a little bit older in my teens. Um, 14, 15, 16. My dad was always with me, but then obviously I was traveling myself um, to training and stuff. Um, I remember specifically one summer holiday, I was 16 and um, my instructor put me in the, in the adult world championships a year a year early because I'd won all wow. the junior titles and he told me to go into the adults a year early and that whole summer holidays, um, I say my dad was working for the whole six-week summer holiday. The World Championship was like, I think it was the first week in September. Three times a day I was training. I had to get three buses to go. We were training in a local, a local cricket club. Uh, that's where we were having all our sessions, apart from the evening session, which was in our gym. Um, but we were training at 9 o'clock in the morning, 
um, two o'clock in the afternoon and then six p.m. in the evening. And I had to get three buses wow. twice, so we had to get three buses there for the nine o'clock session, three buses back, eleven. I'd eat, have a little nap, three buses back, and that was my whole summer holiday after just finishing my GCSEs, I think. <laughs> so I basically didn't get a whole day. When everyone else is out partying, yeah, you're, it was literally eleven to do the exercise. Literally that level of commitment. It was yeah. um, out of interest, Robbie. What what month are you born in? September. September, right. So you were kind of the oldest and biggest and strongest in your school year. I wouldn't say the biggest and strongest, but I was the oldest, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's interesting because um, Malcolm Gladwell, yeah, he's a writer for the New Yorker, and he did a study on people that excel in sports. And as a rule, they tend to be born between September and January because they tend to be the more developed because they're they're slightly older and. It's it's just interesting that, that you're in September and you obviously got to perform to an incredibly high level, whereas yeah. normally people that are from April to August tend to be the the smaller in the school year and in in school they Absolutely. tend to stream kids. Based I see on that. Performance. I see that in my son. So now, the, the, the better son's... kids tend to be the older kids. Yeah, my son's August born and he's small frame like me, and I really see it now. Even yeah, so he's nine. No, he's not nine until August, but obviously everyone else in us. Yeah, it was already nine. Yeah, but then there's a weird, but then there's a weird twist to it that when you go to the top, and I mean like the Ronaldo, the Messi level, um, those people tend to be the younger in the school year, and I think it's because kind of the odds are stacked against them. They just work so flipping hard to prove yeah. the odds that those people tend to be the ones that literally get to the well, absolute you're, you're peak back to that thing. You've of got their talent, doing. but you've got to work the talent. To, yes, to, uh, otherwise. It yeah. doesn't work. I was going to ask you. You know, like all the things you've won. Do you like have a? Um, a, a do you remember them? So do you like have a trophy room or something, or are they all just like in a drawer? I did, I, I did have. I did have and then, medals and belts. Yeah, I did have. Uh, my mum. My mum's got like magazine cuttings of everything. She's got books this thick that wow. she's kept everything. And, and at one point, I kept. I had all my trophies. When I still lived in my mum and dad's house, all my trophies were there. They were in like a big trophy room. Um, and then when I moved out, eventually we got rid of them. Um, just there was yeah. just too many to keep. And the segue over into, into business, I think I, I heard this right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, that when you were young, you used to have a little side gig when you were competing in competitions where you used to run little training sessions and earn money from it. Was that right? Yeah, so when I was about when I was about sixteen, um, I started teaching <laughs> seminars around the country. So I, I so, so I I started earning money from teaching private lessons locally, um, and then I was teaching seminars around the country where, say, an instructor or an association would pay me to come and teach a group of say fifty hundred people, whatever. Um, and then I actually, um, then I did my own DVD series. So what I did was I took all the all the techniques oh, wow. from the syllabus, all fighting techniques, all training tips, all training drills, you name it. I took it across a volume of nine DVDs and recorded it across three days. This when I was about eighteen, I think, um, and then I yeah. advertised it on MySpace. And then when I went out to the tournament, oh, or my went to, oh my word! <laughs> I was going to say, that, uh, I was gonna man, say man. there's people listening to this that are going, they're having to Google DVD and then Google MySpace. MySpace yeah. They're like, what is that? But when I think about it now, that was just natural. For, like for me, I did it. But when we think about what yeah. people talk about now, creating content, putting it on a platform, like I was doing that 15, 16 years ago. 
Um, it's no different. It's just a different way of doing it these days. Way yeah. of doing it, yeah. Bit a bit ahead of my time, really, because if I was if that was now with the platform that people have now, I probably would have not even went into dentistry. Would have made millions yeah. from just doing that, probably on a global yeah. scale. Did, um, uh, did, uh, just quickly, Robbie, did you? Um, because of what you were, as in, you know, like world champion kickboxer, did you end up with this? Um, lots of people would try and, you know, get it on with you, and you know, because they'd sort of say, right, well, you're a hard man, so we'll have a fight or something. Or so, did you have to develop this sort of almost ability to say, you know, I'm just going to walk away? And because I sort of imagine that mm-hmm. someone who's like, you know, you're there are this world champion kickboxer, people are. You know, a target almost, yeah. bevied up on a Friday night or something, and thinking, right, well, okay, we'll have a go at that bloke. I mean, did you have? It that wasn't. It wasn't was really like fantasizing. It wasn't really like that for me, to be honest. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was like that for me, to be honest. People obviously knew, um, and I tend to get get on with with most people. And the club that I'm from was very very close knit. And there was a lot of mean people in that club. So most people probably thought, you know, I don't want to get involved with any of those guys. <laughs> um, so I think that was a little bit sort of, I had that sort of um, safety barrier that it was almost like the attitude that we had was you pick with one of us, you're going to have to pick on all of us. Uh, uh, okay, right. So yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was was quite notorious club in, in, in the city at the time. Um, mm. And yeah, it wasn't really, it was never really like that, to be honest. Mm. Move, 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 moving kind of over from, from, from the boxing, but just the last point as we head into the business side of things. I'm always fascinated by the link between business and sport. And James Kerr wrote a book, Legacy, about the All Blacks, about what you know their their culture and what business can learn from it. And then there's the High Performance Podcast that does a similar thing. It looks at what can be achieved in sport. Are there key things that you learn as kind of behaviours when you were performing at such a high level in boxing that you've mm. been able to take through with you to your business world? Yeah, absolutely. That kind of really, really helped you. Absolutely. As I say, it's, it's, it's just something which is embedded within you. I think, you know, the level of self-discipline and work ethic and then consistency that comes with that mm. inevitably plays its part in business. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what I've shown through my working career as, you know, from owning my own business. Everything that I, I do, you know, is, it's, it's endless hours of hard work. It's, 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 it's disciplined mm. and it's consistent. And, and I think if you stick yeah. to those things, um, you, you will succeed um, eventually. Yeah. And I think it's having a focus as well and a motivation towards a common goal. So obviously in training or martial arts or whatever, you, the common goal is, is to be the best, to be number one, to be the champion. Mm. Um, and that's what you're working towards consistently. Um, and my battles were fought in the gym, never really in tournaments. The hard days were always right. in the gym from the hard work. You, I used to get kicked around that gym for, by heavyweights heavy day in, day out. The days where you don't, mm. you don't want to turn up and you don't want to go. And if you overcome those sorts of mental ba- battles and adversity, then, um, as I say... <laughs> I take all those elements into into all walks mm. of, of life now, really, and I take it into business. You know, I, I treat I treat yeah. my vision in my business exactly the same, and I'll sort of work day in day out to sort of reach those end goals. And and I'm very disciplined mm. in, in how I approach it. Mm. That's a bit like that. Is it the Arnold Palmer 
quote uh, for those of you who are of a certain age. Arnold Palmer was a really famous golfer who uh, people said you're very lucky, and he yeah. said the more I practice, the luckier I get. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. that's it, isn't it? You know, the more you you put in the hard work, oh yeah, you get the results, mm. but you have to put in the hard I work think to get a, the results. I think it's a really good lesson because you know you're, you're still pretty young, but there's there's people coming behind you, and I think a lot of people just want success. They don't want to put in the hard yards, and yeah. particularly social <laughs> media. Social media is great at showing you the destination, but not the journey. Mm. Yeah. And to hear a story where you know that hard graft started, you know, as a as a young kid training and boxing, but those those skills and that resilience and that focus and drive and and that commitment to consistency has now benefiting you massively in your in your business life. So I think for young people, mm. I think it's a great lesson, a great lesson to learn. So you're obviously disrupting dentistry through your your various ventures. Um, was it always a given that you were going to own a dental practice? Was, yeah, I was, was going to ask it, a quickie, how did you get into dentistry? What was it sort of? Yeah, it was always a given I was going to own my own practice. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, as a, as I've developed in my, in, in my career now and, and I learn more about, even about myself and what I'm doing and where I'm going and where I feel my passions lie. I think, you know, deep down, I'm just an entrepreneur. You know, I'm trying to find solutions to make things better constantly. That's, that's just mm. the way I am. And dentistry just mm. happened to be the industry that I was placed upon. Um, what made you choose dentistry, Robbie? It was it was more just a process through the school. You know, I went through very good school. I was getting good grades. And by the time you get to like around 14, 15, you've got to choose obviously what subjects you're going to do and why you do these careers days. And then you have to do work experience placements. My school were almost placing the options, you know, do you want to do medicine, mm. dentistry, all these sorts of scientific subjects. And for me, the my dentist was the obvious place to go and do my work experience because I was there every few months getting new gum shields for the martial arts, so I had a good relationship with them. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that's interesting, isn't so it? That's why I had a good relationship with my dentist. He always, he always took particular interest in where I was traveling to next. So every time I was going to like yeah. a, an international tournament to get a new gum shield, then he put like the Great Britain flag in and and stuff like that. So uh, um, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. So, so I went and, and asked him to do um, some work experience. And I was already a little bit impressed with, you know, he, he was quite cosmetically driven. Um, in in the type of treatments he was doing, he drove a mm. Porsche. I was a little bit impressed by by all that, <laughs> um, and it was quite clear that you know it was his own business, and I think that's what definitely as I learned about career pathways in dentistry. I think you know you, you go and get your degree, you learn about dentistry, but you can almost take your own direction relatively yeah. quickly, and that's that was always the direction that I was that I was going in, um, and then as I developed through uni, obviously learning me craft I knew I would have to learn everything but I always wanted to go aesthetic and I always wanted to have my own business Um, I was I was in in the United States in my elective year and fourth year and I spent a month in Miami and I was already looking and focusing on what was going on there in the States and 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 what was different about the way they did it there to the way they do it here and you know even Mm. back then you know, if you look at what we've done at Dental Excellence, a lot of it is based around some of the, some of the things I was learning way back yeah. then. Mm. I think you're right what you said. Though. I think you are an entrepreneur. And if you'd have been an accountant or a lawyer or yeah, whatever, yeah. I think you'd have disrupted. I think you're you're just a business person who happens to be a dentist. You could have been a business person that could have been 
other 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 professional careers, but this is just the one that you're yeah. you're in at the moment. And yeah. and what's the big plan? I mean, I've obviously been to your practice. It, it it looks phenomenal. I mean, when you walk in, it's it's kind of the four seasons. It's the Four Seasons Hotel of Dentistry, isn't it? Yeah, you know, when you walk in, it's got that lounge appeal and it's very relaxed and there's a concierge element to it. But be, be beyond that, what is the big plan? Because obviously you've got your lab across the road now, haven't you? Literally directly opposite. What What is the big plan for, for dental excellence? Um, the, the big plan is to just keep keep on going and keep on moving. I've, um, you know, we, 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 we've created a, a nice sort of vertical business strategy now within, within dental excellence. We've got a great clinic, got a big team. Um, I've managed to find freedom from that clinic, which was always the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, before we built the clinic in 2018, I was working endless hours as a dentist. And even though I enjoy certain elements of, of the dentistry, um, you know, right now I'm still doing a lot of dentistry. I take on very challenging cases now and, and to right. get those patients from where they are with no hope to, you know, fantastic smile makeovers. Um, mm. new function, new leases of life. I don't think I'll ever give that up. But building mm. that business and that team and learning how to delegate and build a big team has given me the freedom to enjoy other things um, within mm. business and, and outside of business. And um, that was always the goal, to build such a big facility. And, and as you say, mm. to, to disrupt the, 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 um, the perception of dentistry, that was my big frustration for many, many years. Mm. Did you do any... Did yeah. you do any business training, Robbie? Because obviously going from, uh, you know, doing your DVDs is, is great, but then to running a business with people, which is always mm. tricky with people, did you sort of uh, do any training, have a mentor, or is it something that just sort of like you were It's you were able kind of to just talking me stride. I'm one of those people that tend to sort of jump and learn how to fly on the way down, you know. <laughs> and, and dealing with people has probably been the hardest challenge. It still is a challenge. Um mm. But we, 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 we're there now. I'm very proud of what we've got. Like, um, I every day I walk in there and I'm, I'm always looking for improvements. It's just the way I am. You know, there's always there's always room for improvements and there's always room for growth. We probably will open more clinics. Um, but I was good. I was forcing the issue on that a little bit around 2020 when COVID hit and certain things happened in my life. Um, and I, I decided to slow that down. So we have satellite clinics in London. And Dublin, and maybe no. we we t- convert them into full time clinics. But as things started changing and avant garde progressed, um, I really started to find a real passion. I started realizing what we were doing with avant garde. Um, people think it's just a composite veneers course, and it's really not. You know, it's a it's a concept. It starts with education because I believe without educating um, the dentists about the concepts mm-hmm. of what we do, we have a blueprint in dental excellence, which has took me. 10 years to develop. I honestly believe that I can plug in a blueprint into anybody's dental practice and they can, I can fast track their success. And that's become, mm. that's become a big, um, a big passion of mine. I suppose. I think, you know, if you, if you educate well, if you stick to very rigid protocols and workflows, mm. um, and yep. you, and you, and you work and communicate well with a lab and you know how to build your team towards the same common goals. Um, and you definitely introduce digital technology into these practices because that is that is the one thing that allows pre- predictability and re- reproducibility of yeah. our outcomes. I think all those things now that I'm constantly tweaking and improving within dental excellence, it's almost become a little R&D hub for where yeah, you want to take like, things. It's mm. where you can practice, isn't it? You can try it and then yeah. uh, roll it out, mm. the, the, the delivered function. And, and yeah. what you've based on what you just said there and given how busy you are, 
is it still important then that you will always stay chair side for a proportion yeah. of your time when it will you do you do you envisage a situation where you're literally down tools and just be on the business side or to keep developing do you think you need to still have that some of that patient contact a bit of both yeah i think i'll always have the patient contact as you know i'm a i'm a, mm. I'm a big sort of believer in the patient's experience um yeah for me the consultation process is everything um it's mm-hmm. everything that that sort of unique consultation that first experience when the patient first walks through the door that's everything you get that right you can it's the you've got a good foundation to then build the business um but i think what you've got to do with that consultation process is you've got to be able to deliver what you're promising the patients and you can only do that with predictability and scalable outcomes you know you can't scale a business mm. with just your hands and i believe that we've introduced workflows now which allow any dentist to deliver the same um, level of quality. Quality which we're raising the standards of all the time as well, I also believe, um, through what we're doing with the lab and what we're doing with technology. And we're, we're trying and testing new techniques and new materials all the time. And um, I think it's important that we carry on doing that. That elections will grow naturally on the back end of that. I think we'll always lead the way. Um, I truly believe that because we're always doing new things. Um, but my passion is, is, is definitely helping the industry as a whole um, and the way I see that sort of enrolling over the next few years is I believe uh, I understand the psychology of the patients very, very well. As a customer, to be honest with you, more than just the patients, um, mm-hmm. they drive the market, whether we like it or not, they drive you know, the market, they, they're driving things forward. People complain about things like, I don't know, Smile Direct Club or going to Turkey and I look at these things and I try to understand the psychology of the patients of why are they making those choices and then how do we divert them back to making the right choice and if you look at them then those things that they're the things that are sort of delivering new trends and if we can re sort of redevelop that new trend to offer a better solution then we're satisfying the patients we're changing the perception of what UK dentistry is or can be um, and mm. together we're raising the standards of, of our industry and, and for me, that's what avant-garde is really about. Um, slowly but surely, we're putting things in place. You know, we've raised awareness about the brand of avant-garde. Now dentists are taking notes. Um, we're training people yeah. quite well. We're going to train people more and more. And um, we've got a nice level, sort of easy entry point with digital composite veneers, but there's so much more that mm. we can teach and learn. We've de- I've worked endlessly for the last two years on the lab. Um, you know, the guys in the lab hate me because I walk in there every single day and I pick holes in everything they do, even though they're fantastic technicians and and the, and the way we, we do things with the workflows. I just want that to be perfect because I believe that yeah. is the, mm. that's the bottleneck yeah. for us to scale. Um, but I was going to say, although you, they, they, you say they hate you, but it's done with a good heart. You're in pursuit absolutely. of excellence. That's, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? It's just, can we do it better? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's passion. I'm very passionate about about where I believe we, we want to take things. Um, and as I say, like I I see avant garde being almost like almost like a, a, an answer to, to, to truly scale and dentistry. So people think like I could open 20 dental excellences like, like that, but, but then you inevitably you're going to lose quality. Um, you're going to lose quality when you're such a perfectionist as what, as, as what I am. Um, and, and, and it's about for me, everything I'm doing right now, it's about raising standards consistently and then 
encouraging everybody else to raise the bar. Mm. And, you know, we've mm. done that a little bit by leading the way with what we did with dental excellence and how we sort of developed a luxurious um, experience for patients. And you see things tripping along. Um, but then density gets very stagnant again and people tend to love the comfort zones of, 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 of doing things that yeah. just work. And yeah. that just isn't what, what I'm about. So my goal now is to sort of, as I say, almost have this blueprint, which... Mm. other dentists can plug their practices into and we literally just give them all the answers we're even going to drop patients in their chair for them so they don't need to worry about marketing they don't need to worry about any of that stuff and they can then just do the dentistry which is mm. absolutely fine because that's what a lot of mm. dentists love but it isn't what, what i love want to do yeah yeah and and that and that and what you say there is spot on you know we obviously work with people who are buying or selling dental practices and it's rare that we'd have a dentist who says, I don't enjoy dentistry. I don't enjoy treating the patients. Mm. They don't like managing people. They don't like the stress of the finances. They don't like running a business. They don't like having to deal with the marketing and the sales and all the other, it's, it's all the other stuff that they're not yeah. traditionally trained for. And I guess if you can get to a system where you can support them in doing the bit they really enjoy, that's got to be good for UK yeah, dentistry. Definitely. If we can up the standard across the country of how dental practices operate, there's there's no downside to that at all. I yeah. think one of the things I, I think about that turkey thing, uh, you know, that um, on iPlayer. Yeah, the turkey I think one of the interesting thing, yeah. things were, that came out from it was the fact of <laughs> patients didn't really know <laughs> what was being done. Yeah, <laughs> you know they they thought they were having a veneer, but they didn't really appreciate they were some you know in some cases having you know their fi teeth filed down. Yeah. And I think the great thing about you know what what you guys are doing is the fact of there's a real education piece in there that says, well, this is actually what we're going to do. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. we can give you the end result, but actually this is how we're going to give you the end result. And I think something like that, hopefully, patients will become more aware that they want what you can deliver but you can also deliver it in a way that is not destroying their mouth. And, and I think it's, uh, yeah. I thought it was fascinating. I think it could be quite interesting mm. as to if consumers actually really paid attention yeah. rather than just saying, Oh, I'll go to Turkey mm. so I can get it done for three grand or something. It's interesting what you were saying, Robbie, about that, that, that psychology of the patient and understanding where they're at and where they're thinking. And there's a, there's a phrase that you have to kind of go where the eyeballs are. Yeah. So let's just say if everyone's hanging out on Facebook, if you appear on Facebook, you're going to be seen by them because that's where everybody is. And mm. it sounds like what you're saying is, yeah, we need to understand their thought process and why they're making their decisions. Because if we understand that, mm. then we can make sure we've got a strategy to uh, get in front of them and, and tell our story. Yeah, and yeah. it sounds like avant-garde with, because I think your Away Days program is, is genius. I think it's, mm. it's, yeah, it's clever. Absolutely. Very clever. So clever. I mean, you've obviously got a strong link to football, which we'll talk about you later. Can go to Tottenham, but, but, you know, that's <laughs> but holding it in football grounds, calling it Away Days, I think that that's smart and it's different. And for the people that come on that initial course, um, what does their journey, because you've been doing this for a while now, so you were saying it's not just kind of a, a composite veneers course. So when they turn up, what's their driver to come and engage to start with? And then what does it look like when they're finished that day? How do they kind of yeah, yeah, that ongoing? It's changed a little bit over, over the years. Um, as we started, we started yeah. in 2019 and everyone was, was okay, this is, a, this is a composite veneers course. It's learning the injection mold technique, which, you know, I'm proud to say is, is everywhere now. Everyone wants to do it. Like when we started in 2019, not many people were really talking about it, but it's great because I, I honestly believe that, you know, that's part of, part of my job on this journey. It's to 
it's to push things forward a little bit, you know, it's to lead the way and encourage people to follow if they want to follow and do it their own way. That's absolutely fine because, um, you know, I'm doing it with all the, all the right intentions and I'll always, I want to do it so that the patient's experience and the quality of what they get is constantly being improved. Um, so dentists come on that course knowing they're going to learn a specific technique for composite um, veneers. But we, we, we take them right through the whole patient journey. That's, that's, that's the key. So it's what I call the three C's and the two E's. And, and then that ends with a predictable workflow. For the predictable workflow is the bit that we teach. And we have many workflows for many different scenarios. But the three C's is almost good content. Without good content, no one's going to know that you even exist. Um, and it, that content has to be to an identified audience. So you need to know what your audience is. And, and, and how you sort of attract the type of patients that you want to attract. The right clinic, so, you know, the clinic, how it's set up, how it looks, how it feels, how your team are trained, what its USPs of the clinic are. And you've got to, again, you've got to have a brand identity and you've got to stand loud and strong with, with that identity. Okay, what is it that we represent? Mm. And again, that needs to be consistent all the time. And then you've got um, the fantasy, which is um, conversion. You've got to know how to convert your patients. So you've done all this hard work yeah, with your marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've built a beautiful clinic. They turn up. If you don't meet expectations or exceed expectations at that point, they're going to drop off. So the conversion mm -hmm. comes with a very unique way of, 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 of your consultation, your consultation process. And my consultation process, it's the perfect balance between those two E's, which is next, which is experience and education. As dentists, mm -hmm. we want to educate our patients from the get-go mm. but we're educating them about things that we want to talk about not really what the patient wants to talk about so yeah, we always start yeah, yeah. with the patient's end goal in mind and you go why are you really here it's you know most of the time it's because they want to improve the way they look and the self-confidence so we start with that and then once they understand that we're going to get them there and we have very you know we we, we like to on the second appointment we promise them we're going to show them how they're going to look at the end through the mock-up Regardless of the treatment plan, whether it's ortho, this, that, whatever we're going to do, mm -hmm. it's important that the patient understands that you are the right person to get them to that mm -hmm. end result. And that's where we utilize the mock-up. Once the patient is motivated by the mock-up, they're all yours. And that's that's yeah. a big part of what we teach. Um, and then you need to have the right workflows in place um, to be able to execute what you've shown mm -hmm. and promised that patient. Um, and that's why digital technology is so important. It's the only way to almost reproduce and, and give predictable, well-controlled outcomes. The predictability, isn't it? Predictability. Yeah, you, can put, yeah. um, you can put protocols in place through the lab. I think you've got to have a good um, communication with the lab, good communication with the patient, and allow patient elements of customization um, into the end result, which only really comes or begins with, with the mock-up, and then obviously with provisionals if you're doing indirect and then good community. Robbie, do you routinely take do you routinely take patients over to the lab when they come to your practice? Yeah, yeah. So if a patient is in um if a patient is in provisionals, for example, so we've done a mock-up, we've done some preps or whatever, and then the patient's in provisionals, what we'll often do is we review the provisionals. We take we have a very standard strict um photo video protocol that gets followed by everybody every single time a patient's in. And then we'll review the photos together with the patients and then we'll get their feedback to go over to the lab, to meet the lab team. And then, you know, we'll put the CAD design on the screen and they'll start to customize things a little bit. To them, they feel like they're customizing everything to us. We've already 
take care yeah. of the function. We know where we are with the proportions. We know that we're pretty much there. But for a patient, just changing the tip on a canine or shortening a central or opening an embrasure, that's everything to them. Mm. And it changes everything about their experience mm. and their perception of what you're giving them. Um, yeah. It's brilliant. It's really good. But it's true customization. And also what, what you yeah. can achieve as a dentist may not necessarily meet the needs and the expectations of the patient. They may say, well, I've always, it's always looked slightly wonky and I've always been like that. And it, I wouldn't feel, mm. you know, whilst you could correct it, I wouldn't feel me if, 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 if it still didn't have a bit of me in there. Well, it made me think of when you buy a Ferrari, they, you can uh, pay for a, a, um, a scale model. Right. So what happens is you can say, I want it to, I want this, 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 and this, and this. And they'll say, right, well, we'll produce you a scale model, which has basically everything that you've specified. Mm. So as you can see exactly really cool. what your Ferrari is. That's, that's, a, that's a great analogy, that. Because, again, I, I, I say this all, ta- all the time. That's why I'm a big fan of, of the mock-up and, and, and almost copy and paste dentistry to a degree because – You've got to show the patient something. It's almost try before you buy. You wouldn't go and drive a new car from the showroom yeah. without test driving it. You wouldn't go and, you know, get a brand new mm-hmm. tailor-made suit and just take it off the peg and walk out. You're going to go, you're going to tweak it, you're going to customize it. Then you know when that day comes, when you've got to put it on, it's perfect. And that's what we're doing with smiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we're talking about customer psychology here, not more. And you're going to spend a lot of money on your smile. You mm-hmm. should be able to see it before you get it. And it's yeah, only perfect. really... I think some people, when we understand that this technology is available to us, it's almost sometimes ego is getting in the way a little bit. That you know, I'm gonna, I'm the dentist, I'm gonna do it right, and I can do it freehand because I'm artistic. That's great. What realistically, yeah. if we're gonna move forward with the times, there's better ways to do things which improve the journey for the patients. That's that's all it's about. It's not about how we feel. It's about how the patient mm-hmm. feels. Yeah, I yeah. tell you what, Robbie, that that is uh, that's a nice lead into a question I was going to ask between the three of us and our listeners. When you when you run your avant garde sort of courses, are there some dentists that you now know you can go? They're never going to follow it. They're just not going to go with it because of maybe their egos. I was just I was intrigued. You get these guys on that 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 you can show them uh, a model that they can use. And are there people that in as you've been doing them for a while yeah. that you can sort of go, nah, that person yeah. is never going to do it because that you know your your ego thing because they go, no, no, because I'm brilliant, I can do it. Yeah. it. Do you have people like that that you obviously you don't say? Yeah, yeah, you can you can sort of think right. Well, they're not going to follow. I think I think that's our biggest hindrance in dentistry. There's a lot of egos, um, and you know I, mm. I, it's understandable. You some people are great big great businesses, the fantastic dentists um, in their own hands, and that's that's what I'm trying to overcome. You know, dentistry is never going to grow globally if we focus on I'm a great dentist, I can do this. We it's almost like you know you're going to go yeah. for heart surgery, and you know you got two surgeons, you've got a guy that can put a little catheter in your groin and go up and just pop a stent in and that's it, you don't know, mm-hmm. someone's going to cut your chest open and open and go, but I'm great with my hands, I can do this very clean. Mm. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose the technological way or you're going to choose oh, yeah. the old-fashioned way? But for some reason, we love mm. to do things like, you know, and Einstein, what did Einstein say? Insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting better results. Yeah, my 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 mentality mm. is we've got to progress consistently, and and that comes with technology, mm. technology and skill together, yeah. hand in hand. Um, mm. Mm. 
But it's all. It should always be about them, not us. But it's always going to be about the patients. Always. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the digitization side of things, how far along the line are we? Are we still just scratching the surface of what could be achieved digitally, or, or is it? Quite yeah, well you know, now? we we we've obviously just. Um, if you think about CAD CAM as a whole. So we, we've just brought this fantastic system called First Fit to the UK exclusively with Avantgarde. Now, people know about guided guided implant um, placements where you know you get a CBCT, you get an STL, you decide where you want the tooth to be and then you create a guide for where that implant position needs to go ideally in the best possible position with the bone but the best possible position for the final result. And then you guide the implant placements through a surgical guide, 3D printed or this all CAD CAM, and you pretty much can't get it wrong, okay? People also talk about conservation of tooth structure, take your teeth, okay? Sometimes you have to, well, a lot of time you have to prep to get the best results, but, you know, if you think about veneer preps, the more minimal it is, if everything remains in enamel, the bond strength of the veneer to the tooth is, you know, optimal. Um, so there's ways, a lot ways that have been round, I still use techniques that Gallup Garel developed 25, 30 years ago, prepping through, um, prepping through a mock-up and then using that as a guide, using silicon guides, using 3D printed guides that we use digitally. But now we've got this CAD CAM um, in FaceFit where the software designs the perfect veneer. And with that perfect veneer, it designs the perfect tooth preparation which is super, super, super conservative. So we're taking away human error here. Because when you prep a tooth yourself, you want to be conservative, but you also want to make sure you give the lab enough space mm. for the restoration. Mm. Otherwise, you're not going to get the result that mm -hmm. you promised the patient. And we're talking about copying and pasting what we've mm. already shown them, right? So um, what this does is the software does the preparation and then designs very specific, very precise guides, which we 3D print. And all we have to do just put a special handpiece in and move it from side to side and the prep is done. That means anyone can prep a veneer in the utmost conservative way possible. And because the prep and the veneer, um, final veneer design is done together, what's even better is the prep and the fit can take place on the same appointments and the patient's saving hours and hours and hours in the chair. So everybody wins. And the hat that just fast fascinating on that so is the handpiece is that controlled by the dentist the handpiece is, is controlled by the dentist but mark my word when this actually right. takes off you can put a robot put it in a robot hand <laughs> because it goes into wow, wow and this is and, and going back to our previous point you can see really? why this becomes challenging can't right. you because you get you know ego i've spent five years yeah. at dental yeah, school yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. doing a load of postgraduate work you're always going to need the dentist technology you're always going to need the dentist making our life easier uh, uh, and that's the thing, and I, and I think the dentists need to kind of rework and re-understand their role in the process of delivering yeah. the dentistry because there still needs to be that explanation to the patient, there needs to be that engagement, mm. there needs to be the planning, but then you use the technology to help you in the areas where you it becomes more predictable and you get a good and, outcome. And then the what, it, what, it, what it goes on is it, it massively improves accessibility across the board for the patients. So if I can go and handpick yeah. 100 dentists in the UK that can prep very well, prep very conservatively, um, fantastic. What if I can turn that into a hundred thousand dentists that can all do it the same way? Accessibility yeah. for the patients increases, which means that the cost can come down mm. 
inevitably. I was going to say the cost is going to yeah. come down from that, isn't it? It's now just, people yeah. probably won't like what I'm saying because I, I want to charge two thousand pounds for the prep because I'm great. But but at the, at the end of the day, we're trying to improve the industry. We're trying to push it forward. We're trying to make these things accessible for everybody. And 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 and, and that's my passion at the minute. And it starts with educating the dentists, absolutely. Mm. And then the middle ground is quality control. How do we? quality control these things and the only way you quality control it is through the lab so my lab isn't really a lab it's more of a lab and the mm. planning center so it's planning the manufacture which has a great relationship with the dentist mm. absolutely and we, we have very strict protocols that everyone has to follow we don't want to follow these protocols through our portal which we've built then don't use the lab but we know that if you follow these protocols you can get a level of quality but go back to the thing about mm. yeah but but you're saying, you know, I still want to charge £2,000. But the reason that some people will be going to Turkey and other places oh, to get their absolutely. dentistry is based on price. So if there's the introduction of technology, which means it's more affordable in the UK, then that takes away... It's a solution. Or it, it, it it, it actually, we actually have a solution on our fingertips so because if it, we can prep and bad. fit in two hours, yes. what well, would take otherwise 10 hours, okay? We've just saved eight hours of chair time. Therefore, we can bring our costs mm. down. Okay, the patient then can have yeah, an accessible, yeah. more accessible solution, which we can educate them on, on why it's better. Okay, they're going to pay more than the pain in Turkey, mm. absolutely, because they're getting a better quality. But we're going to hopefully find that middle ground. The only thing that's mm. missing, which is the final piece to my jigsaw, is yeah. we educate the dentists, then we quality control through the lab, is we need to combine this into a brand which is understood by the end user. And that's where branding and scalability comes in. And I don't think anyone's yeah. ever scaled dentistry. People probably think, or mm. they have, because they say, I've got 500 practices, but that's not scale, scaling at all because yeah. the standard in every single one of those practices is, is no. different. No. So Avantgarde wants to become a brand which is recognized by yeah. the end user and it represents all these things, minim minimally invasive dentistry, set levels of quality, what we do, and then... You attach that brand to anyone else's brand, it, you know, call your dental practice what you like, but you have that stamp of authority mm. by having God on. We will find your patients because we represent a certain standard, which is unheard of at the minute. And the, mar and, yeah, and the yeah. market potential is huge, isn't it? Just massive. I mean, what's fascinating, I think one of the things that struck me when we talked to that guy from the US was he was saying, you know, that 60% that, um, of people in the US don't go to a dentist mm. and that's predominantly probably because of cost so if you look at that and say is that replicated in the UK was it 50% but then you're able to bring down the cost of the delivery then the market you just you know you expand the yeah. market potential yeah. Yeah. huge don't you it's massive yeah and I think in any market, I think it's very short-termism trying to keep prices up when there's alternative solutions that you're not introducing. I think that that is a bumpy road. Because someone end. comes in like you've done. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, it's gonna it's there. The technology's yeah, there. Yeah, but it's gonna take it's gonna it's gonna take a it's gonna yeah. take a group effort. You know, I, I believe the answers are there. And what we're trying to do now is is, is teach yeah. people and try and motivate people to understand. You know, the way every everybody's life can improve if, if the dentist's life can improve. You know, you can build a good team of dentists and, and be assured that the quality is the same. All you need to do is put the protocols in place. Um, the patients sort of will improve. UK density will mm. hopefully improve because less people will feel the need to travel. Um, and, you know, I think the thing about taking teeth and, and the response to that has been fantastic. You know, some of the UK dentists have done an amazing job over the last few weeks in utilising that 
new awareness to then educate people quite quickly, yeah. which is which is great. Mm, you know, and it's about yeah, everybody definitely. working together for the for the same common goal. Um and, and put egos aside. That's that's the main mm. thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if running a dental practice, a lab, um, change in the future of dentistry wasn't enough. You then decide, space, obviously, in Robbie's diary. I, I was going to say, yeah, you had a few hours spare. So then you decided to hook up with Jake Hall and create yeah. Mediform, the scrubs business. You obviously like your clothes. You like your style. Image is very important. Um, I guess that was part of it, but that's just me sort of you know, talking out loud. What was missing in the scrubs world that you wanted to fix? Because there's a there's a theme here in the things you've done. There's been something that you haven't liked, and you said I can do mm. it better. I want to change yeah. it. Yeah. Well, what, I was, was it I was buying world? Jake's clothes for for a while and wearing them as wear clothes, you know. And then I had um, employees, right. mainly the dentists, and I was saying, you know, I want you to wear this. And I was sending them a link to Jake's website preview. And then I was speaking to Jake during um, COVID, and I was like. Listen, I, I want to sort of, I want to create my own line for, it was mainly for my own, for my own business at first. Like I want to, I want to dress everybody the same, but I wanted to, I want you to design it for me and make it and let's do a deal. And then, I, and then I thought I was a little bit bored during COVID as well. I thought, actually, let's just make a business of this because really, you know, we're trying to change perceptions. That's what it's all about. That comes with the way we are dressed as well. You know, first impressions do, do, do matter. And it's a, you know, I think dentistry now it's a it's a young dentist's arena, and you can see that over the over the years. You know, mm, it's the yeah. young dentists that are really coming into their own and thriving. Um, and you know, together we can change that perception, which will again improve the patient's experience of what dentistry actually is, what modern dentistry actually is. So I went and met with Jake, and we sat down and we started you know, developing something new, really, which is, which is Metaform, which had a fantastic, fantastic um, response um, to the point where we got the stock in and then we sold out quite quickly. And then we've struggled with all those teething problems like every business does. And me being me, I like to do everything my own, my own way. Yeah. I micromanage things. I like building. <laughs> oh, really? That surprises me. Um, yeah, I like building things from the ground up. I, I, that's what I really love, um, and I think Metaform will be a fantastic yeah. business. I think it's 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 got the potential to be one of my, my greatest decisions. You know, when it, you know if we take the next few years to really develop, lay the foundations. We've got a lot of things in the pipeline that we want to do. Um, with Metaform, we almost want to run two businesses side by side. You know. A, Direct to consumer type, you know, mm. an e-commerce model, but also mm. a B two B model where we're supplying big companies and corporates. And it's not just about dentistry. This is for the healthcare industry as a whole. We want to supply care homes, nurseries, um, vets, um, medics, everybody mm. really, beauticians. I think we've got that sort of niche, and we've got Jake's brain mm. behind with the sort of the creative elements. Mm. The market's absolutely, the market absolutely massive, oh, massive. Yeah. It just right needs now. a little bit more um, time, which I don't have at the minute, but we are building a little bit of a mini team and advisory board that we can we can scale that business and, and, and see what opportunity it is. Like you look at the only other, so the market leader obviously is Figs. Um, we're trying to be a little bit different to Figs. But if you look at Figs, Figs um, yeah. that company started in 2014. Okay, it's raised over 300 million in that time. But it's got a market valuation of four point five billion dollars. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take ten percent of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving the fact of, mate. 
Yeah. <laughs> Based on our conversation with you, Robbie, I'm, I'm just thinking, and they're a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, when you come across a place that you don't quite like the coffee, it's going to be... I'll tell you what, I think let's produce a new range of coffee. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't quite like this. I think it's fascinating that, that you know, you, uh, you, you've developed this brand um, sort of as a side hustle <laughs> because you had a little bit of time and it's fascinating where that's going to. It's it's it's, it's quite an interesting. You I, I, you obviously do it instinctively in the fact of I don't know if you. It doesn't sound like you look no. for an opportunity, but you then when yeah, and I get I, I become obsessed with the opportunity. Like I said earlier, I'll I'll, I'll jump and learn how to fly on the way down. If I see something mm. and and I believe in it, I'll I'll just say yeah, go on, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And and I've been and you know I've been burnt in the past by doing things like that. People come to me all the time with opportunities, and sometimes I've gone yeah, and then you do it because of the way I am. You do it half-hearted. It ends up doesn't really being what you want it to become. And because I'm very particular when it hasn't become yeah. what I want it to become, yeah. I'd rather just give it away. You know, um, so it's it's never always. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, but you say so. You were saying Mediform. So you say Mediform was one of your your best decisions. What what's your biggest mistake in business? What what, what is the thing that that you know? I made lots of mistakes you, in business. Like what people don't yeah. like. When yeah, I was in university, say, I I yeah. opened a noodle bar with a friend. Uh, um, just again, just, just thought it was a great idea. Lost a bit of money on that. Um, I've I've done other little little ventures here and there that I've had little goes up. But again, if 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 it doesn't really if I don't have the time or I don't have the, it's not really the time. I always manage to find the time. It's, it's more the passion. If I don't have the passion. Then I, I, I just, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, mm. I love this. The fact of people might not know stuff like that, you know, that, that they, they see the success of you and what you've done, but they don't see the, the fact of there have been the noodle bar that the way you laughed at it was like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously that didn't quite work and there's obviously others so yeah. so you you've you've built your craft on you learn from the same so the noodle the noodle bar I learned massively how to you know how to yeah. recruit and manage staff and you know we had three chefs in the noodle bar that literally pulled my pants down and they they, they, they ran the business they they aimed the price and before you know they had control yeah. of the business and they were holding me to ransom. Like I'll never let that happen again. Um, you know, I've had an yeah. online fitness range which which didn't yeah, take yeah. off, but I learned an awful lot about marketing and influencer marketing and all those things when when we had that. So I understood I understood a lot about 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 that side of <laughs> yeah. things. I learned a lot about marketing when when we had that business. And there's 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 others as well. But what I have learned at the end of it is you stick to what you know. If you know if you know my core businesses now, they're all within dentistry or yeah. metaphors a little bit outside but they're, they're within my controllable environment yeah. now yeah and, and and i'm not going to be going uh, until they sell everything together as one mm. big package which me and andy may have touched on in the past um mm. but my goal again is to have something so unique that all this EBITDA <laughs> stuff and andy tells me about that I, I know i'm going to have something which that's going to get pushed aside i'm going to tell you all my usps and i'm going to name the price <laughs> when a day comes that's when i know i'm going to know <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, um, saying about the failure thing, Will Smith does a good monologue about failure and it's kind of goes down the line of, you know, if you're you're not failing often, you're probably not doing enough things. And mm. listen to you talk then, Robbie, about those kind of elements that didn't work out. You take so much from things that don't work out. And I think you do. I think you learn so much more yeah, when definitely. things don't work out when they do. And you were saying about 
the online fitness range and, and the influencer marketing. Obviously, from a from a dental point of view, a large part of your online profile is collaborating and working with celebrities and, and famous people. You've obviously got a strong link with Liverpool Football Club and being a big fan. Obviously, that's a lovely fit for you. Has that strategy worked well for you in terms of raising the profile of your business? Yeah, Working absolutely, absolutely. That, um, the thing with, with with Liverpool has just been a nat- uh, something which progressed naturally. Um, it was never never really a, a chosen strategy. We don't really have a deal with the club, or I don't do a deal with the players or anything like that. It just started that one or two players coming in, more coming. They tend to, you know, footballers especially. If you think you've got very young individuals with a, a lot of money a lot of fame and they can be exploited very easily and what you tend to find with the footballers is all they want is someone they can trust um, and and my relationship with footballers and celebrities mm-hmm. well, predominantly footballers even still nationally now in, is we have that mutual respect of not just trust but um, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one it becomes more of a friendship and a mutual respect you never look at me as a dentist it's like it's Robbie he's done well for himself yeah. you know he's great at what he does and He'll look after us, and he'll treat us like one one of his friends. Or he'll never, I never look at people. Mm. Just a normal person, you know. And I, just I think a normal person, yeah. Just fed up of the whole like, oh, you know, because the famous people are going to kiss their ass. They're like they don't like that, um, and and that certainly isn't the way the way I am. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. all, we're all we're all we're all going in the same hole at the end of all this. So. Yeah, they must never know yeah. who's genuine, mustn't it? It must be really hard to yeah. know who's actually genuine when you're mm. that. Because, as you say, people are either just yeah. after your money mm. or after the association. Mm. So to have someone who's like, well, I can do your teeth for you and this is how I'm going to treat you and you're like my mate rather than uh, a target. I don't know if that's the, quite the yeah. right word. but And is, is there a part of Liverpudlian in there not being impressed by things like that as well? Is that is that because you know you're quite down to earth, aren't you? Is it those sort of things that you've never been particularly impressed about? And it's like, well, I'm just going to get my job done. Yeah, it really matter yeah, I think so. I think that, you know most houses are very down to earth, and um, it's hard to it's hard to impress us. We're not impressed by by things like that. We're more impressed in authenticity. You know, authenticity is a big thing for me. And if if you're your true self and you're authentic, yeah. whether you loved or hated, it doesn't really matter. And that's that's a big mm. big thing about Scouts Pride. Really, we're, we're Authentic, mm. and we are who we are. Yeah. Um, no one in mentorship. particular. Um, I just, you know, listen to podcasts, read books. Um, I, I'll always look deep within myself as well. To be honest with you, you know, that's just the way I've been. Again, you know, martial arts and, mm. and fighting. At the end of the day, all that hard work in the gym and all those tournaments and and, and, and competitions that we've won. It's only ever you against you. You're there on your own when you when you when you when when you're in those sort of battles and challenges, yeah. and that's the way I've always been. You know, you have good days, you have bad days, but at the end of the day, you're on your own. So I'll always look within myself for answers, and I'll, I'll find my I'll find my way. Mm. Yeah, those yeah those lessons you uh, you learn young in life have really served you well, haven't they? Yeah, mm. lots of people just don't ever learn that or it comes from a bit late but for you to have that at such a young age uh, it really has helped propel you I think so I think so we always we we always finish up in the same way we always ask I guess the same two questions uh, (laughs) just to get an insight uh, beyond the the chat we've had today so if you could be the fly on a wall in a certain situation 
Where, so where for me, it would have been in the changing room at half time, Istanbul 2005, when Liverpool 3 0 down against AC Milan. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, character and sort yeah. of the willingness to never give up and all those things which are deep rooted within me. I would love to have been in that dressing room and see who the characters were, see who who were the people that lifted that mm. team and 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 you know made sure that the belief was instilled for that second half. Obviously, Steven Steven Gerrard had to be the main guy there, being, being yeah. But to be yeah, there so and, and, and witness that, be the one you um, and then witness it at the end when they won, you know that you you you, yeah. you can't write those stories. But that you know that yeah. that came from somewhere, came from one or two individuals that picked that team up at half time, and to, to witness that is would have been inspirational and motivational. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and I think sometimes it's not. Everybody assumes it's Stevie G, but sometimes you you get surprised in those situations. Yeah. It may be somebody who's a bit quieter that just drops a few words, or you know, just. You know, I was in I was in the city centre Liverpool with friends that night. I, I wasn't there, um, but the parties that went on for days afterwards, I was happy. I was there. Like the whole city stood still. People <laughs> were like, cars couldn't move. Everyone was in the streets. It was it was it was unbelievable. Because obviously we hadn't won for a long time, mm. but the way that they won as well was like was you'll never, you'll never get an even like that again. I was yeah, yeah it was Rafa mm. Benitez. Right, yeah. yeah. I yeah. say was that Rafa? Was Rafa the manager then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. I quite liked incredible. it when they came, he came back to the stadium for something, didn't he? I don't know if it was the the Hillsborough. And the response that he got was like amazing from the. The crowd. He's obviously seen as one of the sort of like loved managers yeah. of of Liverpool. Yeah. And if you could, um, if you could meet somebody, um, given the opportunity to sit down and have a glass, I think of that wine one's easy as well, Muhammad Ali. Who would you like to meet? Again, you know, just filled with self belief. Right. Um, yeah. humble though, but yeah. you know, filled with self belief. Um, a big manifesto. Um, like which I think you know I'm a big believer in manifestation and uh, mm. visualization and I think Muhammad Ali was just he, he was a one-off he was a very very special individual um, so yeah it's just to sit and have dinner with him and just 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 listen yeah. would be would be amazing fabulous mm. Robbie it's been an absolute joy it's been great we've covered a, a lot of ground but I just think that whole piece around your mindset and the background to kind of how it started it all comes together and makes sense it's mm. been it's been a really enjoyable conversation That's really enjoyable brilliant. conversation really good. I've learned so much it's, it's been fabulous actually yeah thanks Rob Thank brilliant bye bye Appreciate your time today, everybody. Look after yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.